All right, folks, before we get to the main thing, I want to let you know that this episode of Oil & Gas Upstream is made possible by our good friends at Technip FMC. Now, you probably know them for their subsea business, but did you know that Technip FMC is doing fantastic things for the industry at the surface? The latest innovation is called Emission. And Emission will let you monitor and control vapor pressure in real time. To learn more, visit TechneepFMC.com. Oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream Podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Melkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for Oil and Gas Upstream Research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the Department of Energy, founded a small consultancy, and became a podcast host. Before I introduce our guest for today, I want to thank Technique FMC, our sponsor. And I want to ask you to do me a big favor by answering a one-question survey. It takes about 10 seconds, and the link is in the show notes. In return, we will happily send you some stickers for your laptop or your hard hat or your car. Today, we have two guests, Brian Peary and Bill Shanahan, both of Energy Rogue. Hi, guys. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, Elena. It's good to be here. <laughs> good. Great. So, Bill Shanahan is a seasoned energy veteran with over 30 years of experience in asset development, operations, commodity marketing, transportation, and gathering. Bill is a results-driven leader who has spearheaded the growth of companies, organizations, and small teams through his deep understanding of creating value for oil and gas companies. His expertise in negotiation and asset development has helped him to, to capitalize on value from both brownfield and greenfield assets. And Brian Peary, also a seasoned energy industry expert with over 25 years of experience in energy commodities training, hedging, finance, gathering, processing, and optimization of energy commodity prices. With a proven track record of developing successful startups and teams, Brian is a recognized leader in the oil and gas industry. His expertise in creating value through effective management of energy commodities and related financial instruments has helped many companies achieve their strategic goals. Guys, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you. So, um, so Brian, uh, maybe you could tell us about Energy Rogue. Yeah, thanks, Elena, and thank you for having us. We're really excited to be oh, on your podcast. Um, you know, we 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 feel honored to be in your presence because you, you you've had such a wealth of experience in the uh, energy industry, and and you host a uh, very successful podcast. So we feel very honored. To thank be you, here. and I didn't pay you to say that. Right? <laughs> nope, so. nope, and um, and and so anyway, we we are honored to be here. Let me tell you a little bit about energyrogue.com. Uh, we, Bill and I, have known each other in the industry since the mid 1990s, and I got started in the industry on the commodities trading side of the business. So, when producers were looking to hedge or consumers were looking to hedge, I worked at a physical trading shop that also handled. Um, 
NYMEX contracts, NYMEX options, various financial instruments that were used to manage the volatility of oil and gas. Because I, I think it's fair to say, are, are commodities volatile? It, the, 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 the price today, is that the same as six months ago? No, it's not. As a matter of fact, the it, oil business is definitely volatile. But it, One thing I do to translate that volatility is, is a huge move in equity markets on the S&P 500 is maybe a percent and a half. A huge move on energy commodities is 10 to 15%. So you have about a 10 times more volatility in the energy commodity business that can happen very sharply. But Bill and I, we we have worked at several companies and um, I moved to the upstream side of the business in 2012 to really get a a handle on the upstream side of the business, the midstream side of the business, and that side to actually move the commodity from production to market. And that's when I realized there was a huge disconnect. When I was on the trading side of the business, I had access to information that would tell me fundamental supply and demand, forward prices at a moment's notice, And then when I went to subscribe to those services, I realized that each one of those services were ten to fifteen thousand dollars a month, and I was like, "What? What?" So I am on the upstream side of the business, and I don't know which way is up. I don't know if I'm selling into a strong market or a weak market, which actually lessens my bargaining power. So. Uh, we actually, Bill and I came together and we launched a product called energyrogue.com and we are, are committed to make this the most affordable energy analysis platform that you could understand supply, demand, where the forward pricing is, where it might go and why. And we provided it on uh, a product that we call Rogue Edge. And you can subscribe to that on energyrogue.com. It is only $89 a month. But I'm going to let Bill talk a little bit more about the upstream connection to it. So uh, that that's kind of a broad level. But uh, Bill, do you want to uh, kind of walk us through your history? In the, yes, I, st- I started in this business climbing Derek's offshore back in the 70s. So uh, it, it's been a, quite a, a, a ride, let's say. Um, but... As I've worked more upstream and started doing stuff with producers, I was amazed at how much the producer doesn't know or doesn't have access to. Let me rephrase that. Doesn't have access to and relies on their purchaser for the information in the market, which is extremely interesting to me. It's sort of like the fox watching the chicken house, you know? And so uh, the um, so when we started looking at this, Brian and I were, were talking to producers and talking to upstream, and we said, you know, <clears throat> this information is valuable for you in making certain business decisions. In fact, is the way I put it is that if your business depends on the price of oil and gas, and I don't care whether you're a producer or your service company. You need this information. You need to know where the market's going because you can't make strategic business decisions 
unless you understand where the market's going. Many of, many of the upstream companies have um, gone out of business because they did not grasp where the market was going. So, so what we've done is we've created a very easy, user-friendly, non-expensive access to market data. And what our goal is to take data, to turn it into information, to turn it into strategy, and to turn it into actionable items for your company. That's the path. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, so important. I, I guess as you were talking, I was thinking, gosh, you know, when I was a young reservoir engineer, it would have been nice to know kind of the lay of the land. As a production engineer, I kind of was a little closer to it. Um, as a student, I, I really hadn't thought a lot about it, right? I was so focused on the technical without thinking about market um, at all. So this is this is really fascinating to have at your fingertips at uh, at a reasonable you know cost um, some very important information. Great, great. Well, so now how do how do people use your um, your technology your service? I guess is the way to put it. What are, what are some of the applications, sir, uh, use cases, perhaps of of the work that uh, of of what they can do with your uh, with the information on your site? So there's a lot of different use cases, and one thing that we found when we launched this is. We have touched every part of the energy industry. We originally built this for the upstream side of the business, but we have uh, liquid side. We have crude oil haulers. We have refiners. We have processors. We have midstream. But upstream is where we really carved out a specialty. And I'll bring up an example of... Um, somebody that was looking at our services and trying to compare it to a, a PDF report that they were going to receive every month. And so they said, well, how does your service compare to this PDF report? And I said, well, it doesn't. And they kind of said, well, then maybe I shouldn't subscribe. And I said, no, let me explain why. And I said, where do you want to focus? And they said, the Niobrera. And I said, okay, let's take a look. And with a few clicks of the button, I showed a case from COVID times to today where you could see rigs increasing. And then with a few more clicks, I showed oil production and you could see the, the curve was flat during that same period as you have rising rigs, flat production. And then I, and then I pointed to gas production and I said, what do you see there? And with a few clicks, well, I see gas production decline. And I said, what do you think the differentials were, were, are likely to do in the area? Well, they're likely to increase because there's less commodity, on, especially on the gas side. That's the difference. In, in a PDF, you're going to have a spoon-fed what somebody thinks. This gives you an access to create a thesis and gives you uh, uh, in a very quick, easy to use format a way to develop a strategy. And what we also did is some of our, uh, some of our cu customers, members, uh, we, we call our members ro part of Rogue Nation. So we, 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 <laughs> we like to keep things kind of light and uh, Bill and I kind of razz each other every week. I refer to them as citizens yeah. of the Rogue Nation. 
citizens. <laughs> that just sounds too she stately. She got a flag and everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great idea. <laughs> it sounds too stately. That sounds too formal. We're, we're very informal, especially with our, our customers. But what we what we wanted to do for our customers is is provide them access to where if they want to get deep, they get deep. And then every week we give them about a 20 minute video that talks about uh, commodity price movements during the week, commodity news during the week. We break down oil, gas, and heating oil or ultra uh, ultra sulfur, uh, ultra low sulfur diesel. Um, and we did that for some of our um, uh, refined products customers, but understanding all of these give insight. For example, what we tried to do is we had a customer, you asked about use cases. We had a customer call us up and was looking at an acquisition and said, what do you guys think? And we spent an hour with them and kind of talked through the tenants of what he was looking at. He shared a little bit of information and we gave him our opinion. We said, this is our opinion. If you take a look at this commodity price and we look at the rate of change of new production and so on and so forth, we see this as a bullish commodity alignment. Uh, now, obviously, if the economy goes down the tubes, all bets are off. But we gave him the for everybody on everything. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and we gave him the insight. And, and then after that, he said, well, what do I owe you guys? And we said, you're a customer. So we, we interface with our customers to where it gives them access. Now, at some point, we're going to run out of the capacity or runway to serve everybody that way, that personalized way. But that's really what uh, what we try to do. And, and, and Bill, hop in here. Am I missing something? Well, I think one of the other things we did, we had a customer who says, you know, guys, I'm thinking about selling some of my wells just so I can get some cash flow. And I says, okay, so are they oil properties or gas properties? He says, well, they're mainly gas properties. So we sat down and we had a little session with him and, and uh, showed him, he says, you know, by the time you get these to market, the way the gas price is going, you're not going to want to sell them for that price. So you might want to think of a different strategy. Now, this price is not always going to be as low as it is today, and it's low today. Uh, in comparison to what it's been, uh, though through most of my career, gas has been pretty close to this price anyway. Um, so, uh, but we said, he says, oh, I see that. And so he postponed his sale until which time the commodity price comes back up. So he didn't spend a lot of time and effort trying to market properties that he was not going to get the value for that he wanted to get. And that's just from understanding where the market's going and, and when it should start its trend back up. And so that, that's another place where the upstream can take a look at this. And, you know, and even, you know, even doing your normal maintenance or workovers, if you're looking out there and you're seeing the commodity price is going to go, I mean, because everybody's worried about production. You know, everybody's got a production, they've right. got a production budget they have to meet. Yeah. And so, but you. That's how we're in business. That's right. right? And yep. so if you've got a wells that's got a casing leak or you got wells that you need to work over or you're going to do additional stimulation, you want to do that in the lowest price environment that you can so that you're not losing as much money by having the production off for that period of time. So, 
that's uh, that's another way to be able to understand the market and to actually come up with a business strategy. And then, well, it was really insightful. <laughs> and and so what I did was that being so insightful, I didn't really want to you know waste that on uh, Brian Elena. So I will apologize to you and not to Brian. <laughs> <laughs> we had a small producer who was looking at selling some of his properties, and of course we asked him whether it was oil or gas properties, and he said they were gas properties. And so we sat down with him and looked at it and said, okay, let's take a look at where the gas price is going. Because we want you to be able to sell that commodity at the highest price. And when we showed him the uh, price of the commodity was going down, we said, you might want to hold off, you know, bring those up to market. Because by the time you get them to market, you're not going to get the value that you wanted for them. And so by watching the market, you can begin to know when you want your value. It's the same thing that you would do uh, if you were going to do uh, a work over on the well or have any downtime for maintenance. You want to do that maintenance when that well is down in the lowest price commodity right. environment. Right. And so by, by watching the commodity environment, you're not going to pick it 100% of the time. If you're trying to pick the lowest price or the highest price, you will be one of the most frustrated individuals in the nation. Uh, so uh, because that's just a hard thing to do. But you can at least get the trend and say, hey, listen, instead of doing this work over in May, Let's do it in July or let's do it, you know, you can you can delay it. Some of those things you can delay for a couple months and it's not that big a deal on the actual production. You can't it's it's important to allow prices to help you drive your schedule as much as when people are available. Yeah, if you have a choice and you want to optimize, you know, your position, then that, yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah. And so we, we, you know, we provide that opportunity at very uh, inexpensive rates. Yeah, so one of the, one of the things, I'll, I'll just piggyback on this, Elena, is we provide access to tools to where with a few clicks of the button you can have access to a chart that tells a story and that chart uh may be combined with other charts and you can download them put them in a powerpoint if you're in a larger organization and you want to convey a message for example one of the aspects that we try to key in on is we dig deep on the data every week, and that's why we do that 20-minute uh, video is because our customers are leaning on us, and most of our customers are very much like you when you were on the reservoir engineering side, Elena, and, and just not really, I don't know, what, what, is, what is the price today? And we're trying to convey that to where somebody can look at this and say from a critical standpoint well listen we just had news that the baker baker hughes rigs dropped last week and that's actually the largest drop in rigs we've had since june of 2020 did you know that um yeah. that that's so that's one of the things that we're watching and part of the reason that we're watching that is declines are starting to catch up to us if we brought on zero new wells in 60 days do you know how how much um, oil 
production would decline in the United States uh, from a percentage. No. No. What would that be? It would it, it would decline over ten percent or over a million barrels a day. Oh my! So we would feel that, right? Well, they, 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 with twelve point three million barrels a day, if we lost a million, that's going to make a remarkable impact on on commodity prices. And those are the types of things that we try to critique and analyze, so that. Somebody who is focused on the technical aspect for the reservoir side doesn't have to spend 30 hours a week trying to figure out what what's going to happen to the commodity price. I don't know. I don't know. Well, in big organizations, you have people who do that for you. Right? Sure. So that's yep. a non-issue. But if you're not that big an organization, you still need to know and... Um, it would be great to have the opportunity to be able to look at that. And, or you have or you to have to rely on something. your banks. And I'm not okay. saying that the banks would ever lead you astray, but they might have a different incentive than you do on getting the numbers right. And so uh, when you go to borrow money, the bank has their own price deck. And the reason is you'll find that it's never with the current price because they're they're risk averse. I mean, you understand that it's risk averse. But if you don't know what the market is, you have no way to talk to them about what how risk averse they are. Like, let, let me actually summarize this in a different way. So Permian is an area that there's a lot of focus, right? Right. That's a that's an area that has a lot of focus. Do you know how much capital is needed every month just to fight decline? Not grow, just to fight. Do you know how much capital needs to be deployed every month in the Permian? It's over $4.7 billion every month. Every month need to. So the the thing is, is that it is such a capital intensive that with the commodity prices dropping – you start to get critical on, well, should I be spending money on a rig? Should I be spending money on, right. on this? So that's the type of, of um, information that we try to pass on and convey that changes a little bit of the viewpoint from, okay, should I drill this hole or this hole? You might actually pull back and say, well, wait a second, should I... Should I bring that production on in April or August? Because in August, I'm going to get at least 30% more on my natural gas price. So uh, so th- those are the types of things that we often engage in. Right. What are some of the, um, I'm not sure I'm asking this, some of, some of the screens or the data sets or the parameters that kind of go into all of this that, a person would want to look at and or have ac- easy access to on a regular basis in order to get a feel for things. Sure. And and one thing I do want to be clear on, all this information is publicly available. It is out there. There's nothing unique about our data set versus anybody else's. What we've done is we've taken public domain data. We, we bring in a lot of information from EIA. We bring in a lot of information from NYMEX slash CME, um, information from ICE, information from states, Texas, Oklahoma, 
Denver, Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Dakota, wherever there is. There's 33 oil and gas stations. You can name them all, but yep. you're right. Yeah. Yep. So we bring those in and then we collect that data. Then we provide a chart that gives access to provide a viewpoint. And the viewpoint is usually there's a y-axis and a x-axis. And you're usually looking at it in, in terms of, well, is it growing or declining? You know, in, in terms of production, in terms of consumption, in terms of exports, stocks, so on and so forth. We have over 140 different charts. And what this essentially does is it saves somebody probably, I, I'd say, uh, 60 to 80 hours a month of data acquisition and putting it into charts and puts it into the usability. The example that I used in the uh, Niobrara, it would it would have taken somebody, I showed him that thesis within five minutes. So he was able to develop a, a thesis of, well, wait a second, I do want to drill there because you've got production declining and oil's flat and you're needing more rigs or more capital to remain flat. And that would have taken them probably three hours to put together. So, so is this uh, by by reservoir, by field? I mean, what? How fine is the data? It not by well, obviously, but it's not by well. It is uh, at the current state by uh, basin. You know, so it, it doesn't get it doesn't currently get deeper than the basin. However, we have multiple things that. Uh, multiple things that are in development that may come down the way that are probably going to carve up the Permian into multiple areas of the Permian, such as Medland, Wolf Camp, whichever area that you're looking at. And we probably, our goal is not to get it to the reservoir because that's kind of a different product. And we do have some information on drilling permits, completions, and we monitor that so that we can uh, uh, monitor expansion or contraction in production trends. So yeah, yeah. So it's um, oil production, gas production. Is it water production? Uh, not water. Um, however, we've had some questions and we've done some ad hoc consulting on water, but uh, oil production, gas production, and then we uh, have. Uh, quite a bit, and this is not so much on the upstream side, but we have quite a bit on the NGL side and quite a bit on the um, uh, refined product side. The NGL side really is something that the volatility in some of those prices is really determining some of the future direction. For example, Permian is getting less oily as the basin matures and more gassy, but that's going to kick off more NGLs. So your NGL prices are probably going to drop. So, and, and so a lot of times people don't realize it's important to know the market beyond your, your immediate market so that you understand why your immediate market's offering you the price that it is. So a lot of times mm -hmm. we do what I, you know, some uh, upstreams will actually do what I call gopher marketing. And go for marketing means is that every now and then they'll pop their head up and go, okay, which way do we go to, to market now? Which way do we go to market right. now? 
instead of actually spending the time, especially just even 10% of the time they do in evaluating the well and evaluating the market. Because if you don't evaluate the market, it's hard to say this well's worth this or this well's worth that or which one we want to drill. And also it, uh, with understanding how the market is further downstream, you can sort of see what's coming. And so it also gives you a little bit, a little bit of advantage in doing some of your contract negotiation. So do you, Elena, do you know a lot about decline curves? You probably do. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I know a lot about that. So one of the, one of the things that we've recently added is um, decline curves that really show the different layers of when production was brought online and how quick that decelerates. And you can start to see, even though production has been growing, you can start to see a trend that we're about to turn in a, a very strong way to where declines are going to start to catch up with us. And most people in the industry don't realize how significant that that is. For example, the Permian on, I'm just going to pick on the Permian natural gas. And if you're looking at one of your screens right now, I am looking at one of the screens. Do you want me to share it? And, and you, no. <laughs> you can see it at, on audio. Yeah. The, no, no, I was just Elena. He's yeah, always looking at one of the screens. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, so if you went through a 24 month period, natural gas production in this would go, um, da, 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 down by roughly 50% on the base production. So if, if, if you don't have new production coming online, yeah, yeah. your natural gas is going to be 50. We're going to have 50% of the volume left yeah, in yeah. 24 months. Now that doesn't exist because of the continual churn, but what we try and take a look at is, well, we haven't seen the rig drop yet, but it's starting to happen now. And this is something that, we try and stay ahead of the trends. For example, natural gas last summer. Do you remember what was happening to natural gas prices? Yeah, hi. Yeah, they were $9, $10. And we were actually communicating to our members, our citizens, citizens, I think, Bill. <laughs> um, Not flag waving because we don't have a flag. Yeah, no flag no, yet, they, but <coughs> no flag yet. Uh, but we were, to be we were communicating to our citizens. We said, be careful because this is not sustainable. The, 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 the commodity price here and with, with a broad array of customers, did you know that the entire Gulf Coast petrochemical demand center for natural gas was within 50 cents of complete shut-in last summer? Yeah. Yeah. That, wow. Economically, most of those for uh, 60 days ran at a loss. Wow. So wow. The, the thing is, is that we were able to communicate to our members, hey, listen, you got to be careful. If, if you have production, go ahead and try and get your hedging done because it's going to drop. And here we are at two something. Now, yeah. we've overextended the other way and we're actually... We're actually calling for uh, 350 to uh, five in the next 12 months. Um, yeah. 
So, so one of the things I think what Brian's really talking about, most people, when they look at correlations, they're looking one point to one point. And that's, that's nice because it's easy, but it's never that easy. So really the gas price, let's just use gas for example, correlates to the decline versus the new production coming on. And as the price goes down, the new production will go down because people are not going to drill wells for $2.50, which means the decline will catch up, <clears throat> which then will start putting pressure on the price to go back up. So this is a game we've played ever since we've been in oil and gas. I mean, going all the way back to Pennsylvania in the first wells. I mean, when they brought those first wells on, they, they did it for kerosene <clears throat> to... Um, you know, replace whale oil, to be honest with you. And that's what they were doing. Right. When right. they produced so much that the price went down that they couldn't drill anymore, that they actually, like, in the first two years, caused the first oil depression that we, that, that the industry had. And we've been working right. that circle right. ever since. And so... Right. Well, all commodities have that volatility. Yeah. This is what this, the word is. So it's... And it's not something we can do about it's just something we want to be kind of heads up about and and cognizant of and kind of make the best decisions that we can with the information we have and you're saying you're able to provide more information at the fingertips of anyone who's in this space um, and even people who are not in this space actually now that i think about it there's people who do all kinds of things on paper that may have interest in this kind of insight and data. Let me ask you something totally out in left field because you're rogues and you're okay with that. <laughs> um, so there's a, a carbon pricing in Europe and whatever. What, what, how, talk to me about your thoughts about, about that. I mean, I don't know much about it, but is it possible to have that here? Is there, is it something you mean you mean from an emissions standpoint yeah okay yeah yeah a climate change kind of strategy that's something that we actually have several they're not published yet uh we have several models that are looking into the emissions standards the emission potential penalties or carbon costs these things are going to impact the industry in ways that we don't even know yet. And one of the aspects, okay, so do you know what the price of natural gas on one decatherm is today? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Take a guess. Hey, what, what do you think, Elena? A dollar. I haven't got a clue. Okay, okay. Know. It's it, it, it's around <laughs> it's around two seventy five. And okay. uh, to get at, frame at of Henry reference, Hub. it's about two seventy five at Henry Hub. Yep. And to give frame of reference, last summer when we were talking about high prices, they were nine to ten dollars. So right. they they went from nine. Well, you said a decatherm is that the same as an MMBTU? Yes. Yeah. And well, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> an MCF. Uh, so a decatherm and an MMBTU are equal from a heating value. An MCF right. is a volumetric, uh, a, a volumetric measure. Not, right. not most times by the time you get to an interstate pipeline, an MCF is roughly slightly a bit more than a decatherm. It's like 1.06. Uh, okay. It's about 6% okay. more right. on a heating value. So okay. a Henry Hub is traded on a heating value or a decatherm or an MMBTU. 
Uh, and so okay. when you talk about an MCF on the upstream side, a lot depends on what that MCF means because in the Permian, the MCF is going to be worth a lot more because there are liquids in there. Whereas a Haynesville, North Louisiana. Oh, yeah, the liquids yes. and the, and the uh, contaminants or whatever, things that are not methane exactly. are what reduce it. Okay, okay. I remember that now. So, uh, so anyhow, uh, but when we get back to the carbon credits, and part of the reason I wanted to reference the $2.75 since it's a little bit down today, I think in low 260s. But for that example, we actually have some analysis that indicate that one penalty, if you have one emission of one MCF, that may be worth over $300 of a penalty coming back to you. So you're going to have to produce a lot of production if you just have one slip up. So th there's a lot of attention around ESG, a lot of attention around emissions, and these are going to impact uh, negatively a lot of the production side because it's going to bear a lot of cost to the producer to actually measure, capture, and retain the anything that is flared, leaked, so on and so forth, those carbon measures. Uh, and those are the things that we have in development. We haven't published it because there haven't been standards yet. So that's, that's what you see in Europe. What they have in Europe is a carbon exchange for carbon credits. Okay. Yeah, I, I heard, I understood something about this in Europe. Right. Um, and doesn't California have California that thing is trying, it, but it's very subjective and that's been the problem with, only some people do it no only some people the are rules are very subjective. subjective so oh. each project that goes for carbon credits and asks for carbon credits has to be approved by the exchange they don't have just this standard they look at each project and if that project has meets their criteria, whatever their criteria de jure is, then they are able to give them on the exchange carbon credits. Works the same way in Europe. They give them, car they, mm -hmm. they say you qualify for X amount of carbon credits. Then you have these, then you actually have to go sell these carbon credits and you sell them on the same exchange to people who are carbon emitters. But once again, you have to quantify how much carbon you're emitting and so this is a it's very in its infancy and it's very hard to have an objective measurement of how much carbon you're sequestering without proper measurement and that's what's going on right now is the development of the measurement Okay. Okay. Well, that was that was a that was a better answer than I thought I was going to get. That was a lot of lot of information in there to, to unpack. We're we're not going to unpack it today, but maybe we will have you back to 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 do that. That's, so we've done a lot of yeah, things in our uh, career. So that's whole why area. We did that. Yeah. Right. Right. But that does affect. I mean, that is an upstream topic. Yes, right? and it will be. Well, it's a it's complete. Not, it, you could do a complete podcast around these. Because this is a wave that is coming that I, I, I can tell you the production side of the 
our our producer clients they're they're not quite ready and and mm-hmm. it's going to be thrust upon the industry and it's going to have very negative uh, results in terms of production because there's going to be areas where you have unintended consequences where you may actually shut in production that lead to price shocks. So right. th- this this is going to impact us in a lot of different ways. And right now, since there is not a standard, uh, Europe has developed theirs, but over here, there is still a little bit of the Wild West, which leads to some very unethical uh, practices across the board, both from the carbon credits, the trading, the what makes a carbon credit if you buy um, buy a credit backed by a forest, you know, uh, somebody who has huh. rights to a forest. Well, the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of uh, disingenuous, that forest gets traded nine times and there's a nine multiple, there's only one forest. So mm-hmm. the, 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 the math doesn't line up to what it is. And that's part of the reason that we don't have anything published because it's a moving target of what that quantification is. Uh, so, even to the point of how long does it really last? If I get a carbon credit for a forest, is it for one year of the forest or is it for two years of the forest? Is it, you know, and it, what does that actually equal? So there's a lot of um, fuzzy math that goes on from time to time. But the, but the whole point is that um, the amount of emissions would be offset by the amount of removal of carbon from the atmosphere that the trees or the soil or whatever, or, or you store or whatever. And... Um, I guess it's not as easy to calculate for organic systems, but it may be easier to calculate for um, like carbon storage, like sequestration in reservoirs or whatever. I mean, you've got pipe throughput and critical flow, and so you can calculate certain things, which is different from, you know, a tree, which may or may not be healthy, right. you know, or in a certain time of the year, it's going to be, you know, working harder than other times of the year. So. There's just a lot of variables so in that whole system. The big well, I had to ask you about that because it's so important to upstream. Yes. Um, if it's coming up and you're in that data space and predictive space. Sorry, Bill, what were you going to share? Uh, the biggest word that you have to learn there is anthropogenic. Okay? Yes. <laughs> and so it's very simple. You know, how do you, anthro- how do you spell that? I don't uh, even know how to spell that. It starts with an A. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, so the anthropogenic. All it means is man-made, and so those are the one. Those are the sources where you can actually sequester that CO two. I was involved with a company that we would actually take the anthropogenic CO two and use it for enhanced enhanced oil recovery, and so yeah. we built pipelines and compressors and all that stuff. And so that's sort of how I got my introduction into carbon credits and CO two. Ah, okay. And so my first uh, work in oil and gas was in EOR. And, you know, CO2 is very effective, but it's very expensive. Well, now yes. it's, it's not so expensive anymore, right? So, but, well, there's all kinds of stories on that one. There's all kinds of policies on yes, that one. Yes, I have too many of those myself. I'm not going to go down that <laughs> Go down that road. Well, good. Okay, well, we are at time. And so I just want to ask you if you have any last things you want to share with our listeners. It's been delightful. So, Bill, you want to go first? To well, absolutely. Mine's really simple. Go rogue with Energy Rogue. <laughs> EnergyRogue.com. 
<laughs> but you walk in a flag. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Bill's working on the flag. He he, he developed Rogue <laughs> Nation. But first off, Elena, thank you for having us. And oh, absolutely. We would like to extend a, a, a open invitation anytime you want to chat about anything and everything market related or supply demand. We watch those supply demand uh, logistics all the time, and we would welcome your listeners. Reach out to us. You can you can email us directly at rogue at energyrogue.com. That's R-O-G-U-E at energyrogue.com. And, and we'll put a link in the show notes okay. for, and for you. Yeah, Absolutely. That, 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 reach out to us. We connect with people every day. And some people we've connected with uh, a lot of international people, a lot of people in pretty much every one of the 33, I think you said 33 states, right? Yep. yep 33 yep. states. <laughs> so uh, so we, we'd like to offer that to your listeners and say, uh, Elena, thank you for having us. I really appreciate it and always, always have fun talking to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank everyone for listening. We have Bill Shanahan and Ryan Perry of Energy Rogue. It's been delightful to have you being with us today and sharing all of your contributions to the market analysis of upstream oil and gas. Um, so everyone, thank you for listening. Please give us a review and tell us what you'd like to hear more about on future podcasts. This is Elena Milkert, your host for Oil and Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.